And in 2 Samuel chapter 19, um, we see here in verse 31, and Barzillai, uh, the uh, Gileadite, came down from uh, Rogilium and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now, this man is an elderly man. Well, he says here in verse 32, he was very aged, uh, fourscore years old. Well, he's not that old, just 80 years old. But he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay in Mahanaim, uh, for he was a very uh, great man. And the king uh, said unto uh, Barzillai, uh, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. But he reclined. But my, here's one of the points I just wanted to mention, and we'll, we'll move on to chapter 20. This man, though he was aged, though he could have said, You know, I'll send my servants to go meet David. But no, he himself did that. He still had enough zeal and desire to serve and to uh, reveal to the king, show the king that he supported him and loved him and uh, loved the Lord. He was a great man, it's said here. And uh, so we don't know a whole lot about him, but he did uh, risk his life even in helping David when he needed help and uh, come out to greet him as he's coming back. This is a man who was a servant. This was a man who was a worker and was not ashamed, was not um, afraid when the king returned. In fact, he was happy to see the king return. And, and we can relate that with ourselves. Those of us, if we're working, if we're serving God, we're in his will, uh, it's going to be a great day when the Lord returns. And so that, um, that's the response of that one individual there. The other ones weren't so bad. In fact, there's another person we'll see in chapter 20 that uh, is it's not just not a very good situation let's pick it up there chapter 20 verse 1 and there happened to be there a man of belial that's a worthless that's what that means he's a worthless man no good for nothing rotten scoundrel whose name was sheba the son of bichri a benjamite and he blew a trumpet and said we have no part in david neither have we inheritance in the son of jesse every man to his tents O israel so Every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. So it's, it's just amazing. These people are so fickle. Here they are trying to argue about whether to accept David back in, knowing that he was the one that delivered them. And now along comes Sheba and says, everybody to your tents. We're not going to follow David. Okay. And they do it exactly what he says. But the men of Judah claim unto their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in ward, and fed them, but went not in unto them. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days, and be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do, so, or do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servant <clears throat> and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced uh, cities and escape us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the uh, Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. 
when they were at the great stone, which is in uh, Gibeon, Amasa went before them, and Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and unto it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins in the uh, sheath thereof. And as he went forth, it fell out. And Joab, this seems like an accident, but it's not. Joab had this all planned. Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa uh, took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, and that would be in his left hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and uh, shed out his bowels to the ground and stuck or struck him not again, and he died. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of, of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favoreth Joab, and he that is for David, let him go after Joab. And Amasa uh, wallowed in blood in the midst of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a cloth upon him uh, when he saw that everyone that came by him stood still. When he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth Micaiah and to all the Berites, and they were gathered together and went also after him. And they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Micaiah, and they cast up a bank against the city, and it stood in the uh, trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. They cry, then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say I pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with you, or with thee. And when he uh, was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask a counsel at Abel. And so they ended the matter. I am one of them that art peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother of it in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, uh, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of uh, Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri, by name, hath lifted up his hands against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. Then the woman went unto all the people and her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba. Um, I'm sure Abishai wished he could have been there. Uh, he was always wanting to lop somebody's head off. And they cut off his head and the son of Bichri and cast it out uh, to Joab. And he blew a trumpet and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem and to the king. Now, Joab was over all the host of Israel. And Benai, the uh, son of Jehoiada, was over the uh, Cherethites and over the Pelethites. And Adoram was over the uh, tribute. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad was a recorder, and Sheba was scribe, and, the Z and Zadok was uh, Abathar, uh, were the priest, and Ira, the or Ira, the also the uh, Jairite, was a 
chief ruler about David. Well, I just wanted to read that full chapter there so we can get, be in the context. But David returned to Jerusalem. He's trying to reestablish himself as the rightful king in Israel. And remember, all along the way, and I just mentioned another man, how he extended grace to those along the way as he's coming back to Jerusalem. And so, but here's the title of my message tonight, Problems Before Restoration. You would like to think that this is going to be just a cakewalk. David's going to come back in. He's going to uh, get the throne, and no problem at all. People are going to, going to follow right behind him. But it wasn't that easy. And so he arrived in Jerusalem, and he finds out another rebellion arises. And David considered this rebellion even more dangerous than his own son, Absalom's rebellion. And so, we'll, you know, we already read about this rebellion. We see, see uh, Sheba uh, rally the men against David, the men of Israel. And in our uh, study of First and Second Samuel, we've, ex we've seen the rise and the fall and the restoration of David. I mean, he's, he's had quite a roller coaster of a ride here as king. Now, in chapter 20, we finally see a conclusion here to the restoration of David back to the throne, but it's not going to be easy, as I mentioned earlier. He's got a lot of problems he's going to face. And the first one I want to mention is rebellion. Rebellion, which we see there spelled out quite well in verse 1 and 2. Um, he, so here he's trying to restore the kingdom. He's trying to do what God wants him to do, and yet he's still facing problems. And just a reminder to us, just because we may face problems and opposition, that doesn't mean it's not God's will. Uh, you know, we need to uh, just stay with God and do what he wants us to do regardless uh, of the opposition. But verse 1 continues the dispute that started in chapter 19, the latter part of chapter 19, verses 41 down through 43. And the men of Israel, they which uh, consisted of the ten northern tribes, they began the dispute, uh, and, and they argued about David. Uh, with the, uh, they, they're arguing with the men of Judah, the men that were coming now with David, and they were offended that these men didn't take their uh, counsel and, and uh, didn't take the initiative uh, to join, have them join them to bring David back. And, of course, you know, they're, they're complaining about nothing. They're they're arguing they should have just got behind the king and, and done what they uh, knew was right, but they did not do that. The men of Judah noted that the king is near of kin to us there in verse 42. So obviously they were going to uh, be supporting him, and that was enough for Sheba to declare in rebellion, well, hey, you may be his kin, you may be behind him, but we're not going to have any part at all with David there in uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And so we read in, in verse 2 that all the men of Israel withdrew. They all went back, they went away from David, and they followed this rebellious individual, Sheba. But the men of Judah, they stayed with David. They did the right thing. So David returned to Jerusalem with just a, a very small part of his kingdom intact, and the initial problem encountered in restoring this kingdom was rebellion. Uh, and you know, that's been something that, that has uh, 
been a problem to the Lord's work uh, ever since the Garden of Eden. And Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said that every one of you saith, wait a minute, I am a Paul, and I am Apollo, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. And there was arguments there as if one, because they were of this group, were better than the other and had some uh, greater standing with God. But sadly, that attitude hasn't stopped. It still remains in churches today. And uh, it, it is, a, as I've noted, a sad thing. Believers get their pride hurt. Uh, they want their way. And uh, they take sides in opposition. They create a uh, opposition and uh, oppose either individuals in the church or oppose leadership in the church. And so that's the spirit of rebellion. And it continues, sadly, to destroy churches even today. So this was, you know, to David, it was very hurtful, but um, uh, this, this was rebellion on their part. Um, now, you could say, well, it was ultimately David's fault because it was his sin that created a lot of this, what was going on. But no, this rebellion, they were responsible here. And so rebellion, he had a problem of rebellion in his kingdom. Then secondly, there was sadness. Well, what a sad verse there, verse 3. Uh, the second problem, David arrives in Jerusalem with this uh, small, shaky group of loyal followers. And no doubt, they were very concerned about the rebellion that was, um, that was uh, developing here in, in the heart of Sheba and other men of Israel. And then notice what happens there in verse 3. Now, um, as it states there at the end, these uh, ten women, they were shut up uh, unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. And so David, having concubines, um, and by the way, we could stop and say once again, this was never God's will. Never was it uh, God's will for David to have concubines. One wife was all David was supposed to have. Now, he did have uh, this, and it, it created a lot of problems for him. But the, the fact that he did have these concubines, he was now obligated to care for them. And he was responsible. But remember how these concubines were violated by his own son, Absalom. And, and they were violated in such a way that every, remember, he did it on the rooftop. And uh, everyone in, the, in Jerusalem knew uh, about uh, what happened to David's concubines. So when David put them in the house under guard, I, I do not believe that it was like putting them in prison. I believe the guards were there to protect them after what had happened. And uh, so David no longer had any relations with these women. But the saddest part is that these women, as, uh, once again, verse 3, they uh, went to their death living in widowhood. They never were able to enjoy a marital relationship. They never knew the blessing of having children. They grew old. They had no family member at all to take care of them as they grew old. And then they died. So think about these ten women suffered because of David's sin. What a sad, sad note here. And David's sinful behavior had had consequences in the lives of these ten concubines. And 
these women, even as he tried to undo and correct the misery, it, it still affected the rest of their lives. Uh, again, just another reminder to us of the far-reaching effects that sin has, or you could say the far-reaching consequences of sin. David never expected that his sin with Bathsheba, which brought him just a, a short period of maybe pleasure, he never expected that would bring a lifetime of sadness to these ten women. Not, not to say that some of the other problems that occurred in his own family. Uh, sin's payoff. Well, you could say, yeah, uh, sin is pleasurable, but what's the rest of that? Sin is pleasurable for a, a season, only for a short time. It's, it's pleasurable for a season. So the payoff is immediate gratification. But it will bring you and, and others a long-term sadness. And so uh, we ought to be warned here of sin, of harboring sin, of, of going against God's will. So rebellion, sadness, <laughs> what a welcome back to the kingdom. And then another thing that he faced in restoring the, the promised kingdom was instability. In verses 4 down through verse 13, Having arrived here in Jerusalem, David needed to uh, do something now to crush this rebellion of Sheba. And in verse 4, we read that David, he, he said to his newly appointed chief of the army, Amasa, he assemble me the men of Judah within three days and be thou here present. Now, um, for some reason, not specify here what happened, but Amasa was not able to gather the men together, the, the army of Judah, within three days. So what does David do? He orders another general, Abishai. And he says, now you go after Sheba. And um, so supposedly it looks to me like there was enough uh, uh, soldiers in Jerusalem for David to, to send Abishai after Sheba. And we read... Um, this is kind of unexpected. In verse 7, there went out after him Joab's men uh, to pursue after Sheba. Now, where did Joab come from? It, you may remember David had demoted Joab. What did Joab do that angered David that caused him to remove him from his, his position? You remember? What was it Joab did? Yeah, that's right. He killed his son, Absalom. And so he uh, demoted uh, Joab. But now he pops up on the scene here. And he had disobeyed David's orders not to harm Absalom. Uh, he was a, a man that was very strong-willed. He was also a man that was extremely loyal to David. Uh, even if he did at times disobey David. In any event, Joab was now back. Back among the troops. David didn't even know about this. Abishai and Joab, they arrive at uh, Gibeon which, if you look on the map, is about five miles northwest of Jerusalem. And then Amasa, this man that David had appointed in Joab's place, he uh, meets them there. And the, the Bible describes in some detail here how Joab came up to meet Amasa, and a sword fell out of Joab's sheath, and Joab goes to pick up that sword with his left hand, which was all planned. And with his right hand, which I guess was a custom, so Amasa would not have been surprised for him to 
uh, grab hold of his beard, and as if he was going to give him a greeting, a kiss uh, in greeting. And while he was doing that, he wasn't paying attention to his left hand because his right hand was his battle hand, and he, the, the hand he would have used the sword with. He never expected him to use the sword from his left. And he takes that, um, and in fact, he even says, greets him with a kind words, Art thou in health, my brother? Are you, are you feeling real good, my brother? Are, how are you doing? And that's when he uh, stabbed him in the stomach, and the Bible describes he spilled out his guts. Um, you know, all over the ground here, and did not even hit him again, and he died there, according to verse 10. Now, one of Joab's young men, they took the body, they put him in a field so that all the people went out on after Joab to pursue after Sheba. Uh, pretty cruel what Joab did here. And Joab was, in, again, intensely loyal to David, but it was always on his terms. Um, he disposed of anyone he thought was opposed to David, he got rid of them. Abner, Absalom, Amasa, maybe, you know, we don't know why it took him so long to gather the men together. Maybe there was some resistance. I, we're not told that at all. But nonetheless, uh, it appears that Joab acted on his own, took charge, and, um, and disposed of this, this person. I, it appears because... He wanted his job back. And uh, so he, he, this is the third man now that he's killed um, because he thought maybe they opposed David, but even though David did not approve of any of the actions of Joab, Joab went ahead and did it anyway. Joab was an extremely talented military man. He was a, a, a leader, a general, but he was also a thorn in David's side. Um, at the end of the day, Joab's actions brought greater instability in the kingdom, uh, even among their own men, as they saw who was the leader that David appointed, now lying there and wallowing in his blood. And so what an awful sight that must have been. So it, it, rather than bringing stability, uh, Joab was creating instability in the kingdom. Um, you know, Joab's kind of like an, a, a talent or extremely talented Christian who has wonderfully effective gifts from God uh, for ministry. And this Christian is committing, committed to doing what they can to advance the kingdom of God. However, this Christian does not submit to authority and does whatever he thinks best in advancing the kingdom of God, uh, regardless of who may... He may run over in the process. He doesn't care. So he may, in his eyes, he's doing the work of God. He's zealous. He's excited. He, but uh, he has a problem with obedience and uh, anyone in authority. Uh, he's not willing to take orders. He's not willing to be a second. He wants to be in charge. And so he will run over anybody in the process. And so instead of advancing the kingdom of God, what happens? It produces a lot of instability. Um, you know, there's God is a God of order, and he places in a home husband and wife. The man is supposed to be the leader of the home, primarily the spiritual leader of the home. And so he does in the church, has leaders in the church. And so uh, we all need to be willing to submit one to another. First and foremost, submit to God, to his authority and his will. 
Well, then we see not only did he face rebellion, the problem of sadness in the kingdom, instability. Then number four, deliverance. Verses 14 down through verse 22. Um, the fourth problem here, deliverance. And look, look with me at verse, uh, verse 2 again. So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of uh, Bichri. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan even to Jerusalem. And so Sheba was able to get all the men of Israel to go away from David, to withdraw from David and follow him. Then in verse 14, we read there that Sheba was not able to get all the men of Israel to follow him. Look at me, verse 14. And he went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth Micaiah and unto all the uh, Berites, and they were gathered together and went also after him. And so Sheba was not able to get all the men to follow him. Abel was in the, uh, as I said, well, you know, north of Jerusalem, far north, northern part of Israel. But th by, that, uh, by the time they arrived there, only his clan, that was of the, uh, the Bichrites, they were the only ones that were following him. And so verse 15 says the men who were with Joab, they pretty well treat him there. And they came and besieged him in Abel. So they have cornered him in this city. They've got him surrounded. And, and they were about to tear down the walls of the city. Remember, we, they were beating against the walls. And at that point, in verse 16, the Bible says there was a wise woman. And she started negotiating there with Joab. Uh, why? Because she didn't want her city destroyed. And Joab let her know that if, hey, all you got to do is give up Sheba. You give him up, and he, I will not destroy the city. And look at verse 21. Deliver him only, and I will depart. I'll leave. We won't bother you anymore. And the woman said to Joab, in verse 21, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. So the woman goes back, tells all the men of the city here uh, what, they need, what need to be done to deliver the city uh, uh, from destruction. So in verse 22, they did it. They cut off Sheba's head. Uh, they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out of Joab, or out to Joab. Now, um, having accomplished what they came to do, so now Joab, uh, that is, they came to kill Sheba, they, Joab returns to Jerusalem, returns to David. Uh, now, sometimes there are uh, people like Sheba, even in churches today, they oppose what is being done, uh, and sometimes they oppose just because they love to oppose. They oppose everything. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, a person not agreeing. That, that's fine. But, I mean, there are some people who it doesn't matter if you are, are making a statement uh, that is biblically correct. Say, wait a minute, that, that isn't correct. You didn't use it. I remember one time I was giving a testimony. I was a freshman in college. And they asked me to give my testimony. And someone come up to me afterwards, and this guy, he was a, just, I, I got to know him later. He was a strange person. But he, uh, he said, well, you said this. You didn't say it the right way. I said, what are you talking about? I wasn't, so I was kind of puzzled at first. And I thought, and I went back. In fact, I had the luxury of being able to listen to it. It was recorded. And so I don't know what he was talking about. It didn't make sense at all. 
but they just want to oppose. They want to uh, uh, criticize. They want to, they're always there. And this is just like Shiva. Uh, they, sometimes we'll find them in churches today. And another thing like Shiva, they want to rally a group. They're not content with just being in opposition themselves. They try to get as many in the church with them, to side with them. And they make it uh, like a, they draw the battle line. It's them against us. In reality, it should never be that way. We, we may disagree, but we're all in the same family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And just because we disagree, that doesn't mean we need to draw a line and say, okay, now you're on that side and we're on this side and we are never going to meet in the middle. That's not Christian at all. But that's the way Sheba was and sadly the way some Christians are. Um, and I think, boy, you know, God help us. God, uh, churches need to be delivered from individuals like, like that, uh, professing Christians. And I believe in some cases they probably never were truly born again. But um, how do you deal with situations like that? Well, one of the ways, I think, uh, we're not going to get into it tonight, but church discipline. But, um, and then another thing. If somebody, you know, wants to get a group together to try to side with them, or if they're talking about the pastor or the deacons or the Sunday school teacher in a negative way, just say, wait a minute, let's go talk to that person. Let's go talk to him or her. And, uh, you know, you try to stop it uh, before it gets any further. Then let me get to the last point here. We're done tonight. But number five, so here's the things, the problems David dealt with as he's coming back into Jerusalem. The rebellion, the, the sadness, the instability, the, the uh, uh, deliverance. And then uh, number five, the administration here, verses 23 through 26. Um, good administration is vital to the uh, proper functioning of an, any organization. In chapter 20, it closes with a description of the administration of David's kingdom. We are immediately struck by the first word. Look at verse 23, um, these words. Now Joab was over all the host of Israel. So apparently, David had yielded to the cruel power of his crafty nephew here. Joab simply would not take a back seat. So Joab is now seems to be running things. And so we, he, he found himself in leadership once again in David's kingdom, even though David had disciplined him before, but he uh, came back on his own and uh, seems to be taking over. So what a contrast this is with what happened in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, where it says David reigned over all Israel. And now here it says Joab was over all the host of Israel. So David might be seated on Israel's throne, but Joab's the man of action. Joab's the one that seems to have this, this uh, uh, man that was ruthless and uh, this worldly passion that he had to reign. He had a hunger for power. Um, David had once again... Uh, executed or administered there in verse, uh, back in chapter 8, verse 15, justice, remember we talked about this before, he administered justice 
and, and uh, judgment and through all his people. But now it was ran by a ruthless man. You don't see it my way. You might uh, be wallowing in your guts on the ground here. Uh, you, you might find a sword in your stomach. It's the way uh, Joab kind of ruled things. So a Christian leader, um, well, you know, the kind of leadership that is, is needed, the kind of leadership that is essential in a church today, it's not like this at all. It's a humble heart. It's a servant attitude. Um, proud, not ambitious, not hungering for power and uh, thirsting for uh, their way to be done and that's it. That's not the kind of leaders that God is going to be able to use. A Christian leader must have, well, certain spiritual gifts. In fact, where in the Bible does it give us a list of qualifications for a spiritual leader? Anybody know why offhand? First Timothy, you know, First Timothy chapter three, where it gives the uh, requirements for a pastor and for a deacon, and that list, those character uh, qualities, ought to be present in a spiritual leader, and uh, Titus one as well. But what? We ought to pray that God would raise up some more leaders, even in our church here, that would have those kind of characteristics, uh, that would be willing and, and able and, and prepared to stand and serve the Lord in areas where needed as a leader. So our hope is not in some man. Our hope must only be in the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. David was a great man, a great king, but he had a lot of flaws, didn't he? He was human. He was sinful. But uh, the king that we follow, the king that we serve, Jesus Christ, is without sin. David was called by God to become king over his kingdom here on earth, but God promised David that one day, Someone would come through his ancestors or his um, descendants that would, uh, would reign forever. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king that God promised David that would come on the scene one day. And he's the king, our king, our Lord, our Savior. So, unlike David, he is, has no flaws, he is sinless. His kingdom continues to grow. He calls sinners to come to him and to enter his kingdom how how do they become a part of his kingdom through faith in jesus christ for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast 